Hey, what's going on, everybody? My name is Reagan. My name is Victor. And welcome to Sanctified-ish, conversations with pastors who have not figured it out. And y'all, we are tired. Yeah. It is. <laughs> we are tired. <laughs> I'm really tired. It's, it's just, it's, it's one of those days. And we're going to see how this episode goes. We're going to see uh, what these, these conversations look like. But if you here. make it through this episode... Good for you. Well, to, to put it in perspective, we've been sitting here for about an hour trying to get this yeah. episode started. Yeah. Um, but hey, we're here and we're excited and we think we have a really good episode for you guys today. Yeah. Um, coming off of last week's episode, one of the coolest things that we just like heard was actually how practical that was in some of the conversations you guys were having with, with students, with siblings, with friends who were in Gen Z. And that's one of the most encouraging things for us is to hear when this podcast and these episodes actually have practical implications in your life. Like if we're just talking into a screen and like it doesn't impact anything, who cares? We'll pack up shop. We'll go home and we'll just play Minecraft. Like I will at least you will. And I'll watch you play Minecraft because I love you. But if to to see like these conversations be helpful in a really practical sense, that's really awesome for us. And so we just kind of wanted to continue a little bit of that conversation this week. Um, If you missed last week's episode, we talked about how to basically reach Gen Z with the gospel and who are these kids? What are they like? What's their culture? Um, And honestly, in my experience, one of the things that I've seen is that Gen Z asks more questions than anybody else I've ever met. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Questions are an awesome thing. But one of the things... Uh, that they ask the questions most about is one, it's Harry Styles. It's always Harry Styles. Amen. That's question number one. That is our priority. Number (laughs) two, they just ask about the nature of God and and who is he? And one of the things that I tell our students, and I think this is going to direct our question or our conversation today, um, is that there are, there are answers to your questions, but there are answers that I cannot tell you because I am not God. And so God by his nature is infinite. We're not talking about the dude that created the cosmos, the dude that created you and me, like the the one who was and is and is to come. When we're dealing with a being like God and a concept like God, there are by nature things that we just can't fully understand. Yeah. And the illustration that I use with our students is like, all right, uh, you can learn everything there is to know about math. It's possible. It may suck. It may take you the rest of your life, but you can learn everything there is to know about math because math is a created object. The same thing cannot be said about God. Nobody created him. Mm-hmm. Nobody can fully comprehend him other than himself. So he is this infinite being of infinite goodness, infinite power, infinite knowledge, infinite presence, like all over the place that we cannot fully comprehend him. But the beauty of the gospel is, is, is that an infinite God made himself intimate with you and me. Yeah that he took on flesh, that he's acquainted with all of our ways. And like that paradox and that tension with God is what makes him not just worthy of worship, but someone who is our man of sorrows and acquainted with our grief. And who is, who is he? So like it should lead us to worship, not lead us to doubt. And so honestly, we're just going to be spending a lot of that time today unpacking that simple question of who is God and his infiniteness. Um, if yeah. that's a word, In- infiniteness and finiteness, infiniteness. Um, you're getting there. Yeah. Thanks. Buddy. You're getting there. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, Thank you. man, this is probably one of my favorite doctrines of at least right now, because the, the doctrine of the infinite God 
is yeah. is so beautiful and at its core gives us everything that that we need about God because without God being infinite in nature we cannot know and understand and experience the gospel like first of all if God wasn't infinite he wouldn't be God because God is by nature infinite um yeah. one of the most like beautiful psalms um is found in Psalm 147 uh, verse 5 says great is our lord and abundant in power his understanding is beyond measure his understanding is infinite and one of the things that i think we do as christians is we hear the word infinity we hear the word infinite and we say that that word is basically a synonym with eternal and yeah. while yes they're very similar words they they play together really interestingly and well they are actually very different because huh. an infinite god isn't just it's not just speaking about the the timeline that God is outside of, right? Like the infinite nature of God, yes, part of that is that God is outside of time. Like he's not constrained mm-hmm. by the finite nature of time. But it also means that God is infinite in other ways, right? He's infinite in power. So that's that's not constrained to time. He's infinite in presence. He's infinite in knowledge. These are the things that we call like um, – um, omniscience is like God's all knowingness. Um, omnipotence is God's all power and, and omnipresence is God being um, everywhere. And so like the infinite mm. nature of God is something that is so grand, something that is so difficult for us to grasp that it leaves a lot of people confused. It leaves a lot of people really just like not knowing where to turn. But here's the most beautiful thing about this entire doctrine is that yes, although God is is infinite and he's large and he's big and he's beyond our comprehension, he has made himself available to us yeah. in our finite nature. And y'all like the the doctrine of the infinite God is something that should draw us to worship because who are we to be able to know and have access to the God who is beyond all comprehension? It's the most beautiful doctrine. And I don't want to get too practical too quick, but I think our worship life suffers because our view of God is so small. Yep. I think our trust in God suffers because our view of him is so small. Yep. Like if we really believe that God is infinitely good when I'm facing an infinitely bad situation, like why would I not think that the God who created the cosmos has me in the palm of his hand? And he will not let me go. Like, I, I, I think a lot of our issues yeah. like are not necessarily solved with these practical things. It's just understand that there is a God who is bigger than us. And that's okay. Yeah. That, that's okay. And I, I, I love these. So like, it should lead us to worship. And it should lead us to respond. It should lead us to praise him. That like, who are we? Um, that, that he should care for us. That he should yeah. know us. That he should love us. Like, that should honestly respond us to worship. But I think oftentimes our view of God, especially in the Western church is so limited to like, I was just, I was, I think I forget who I was talking about this today. I think I was actually talking with a student about this Western evangelical Christianity is how can God make my day to day life better? Yeah. And what are my good steps to get a better job, to do better in relationships, to do better in money, to do better in family? Like what are these? It's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a help. It's a help book. Yeah. The Bible is about God's glory. 
Yeah. And there is nothing like the Bible makes it very clear that there is no one like God. And we spend so much time trying to make God like us. Um, yep. Like, That's and bro, good. like, like, like you and I have been talking about this. So we've been doing like this reading plan with our friend group and like, honestly, bro, what is Leviticus and numbers about? It's about the holiness of God, the otherness of God, the separation of his people, like the laws, the cleanliness of the camp, like the yep. purification, all these things. We think it's so weird. There's one point to that. There's no one like the Lord. Mm-hmm. No one like him. So if there's no one like him, why should we think that we could ever understand him fully? Yeah. It's it's really fascinating here because I love this picture of like, yes, an infinite God, but also like a completely intimate God. It takes me all the way back to Genesis. And you have this creation account where Jesus, like the the word is spoken and the universe is created. And it's a beautiful picture of of God's care and intentionality when creating the universe. But one of the things that reminds reminds me of how intimate God is with us is that when he gets to when he gets to the part where he's going to create man, right? He's he's going to create Adam. He doesn't speak Adam into existence. Hmm. What scripture actually tells us is that he actually gets down on one knee and picks up the dust and breathes life into Adam. Hmm. And it's like all other creation, God spoke and it was, but for whatever reason, for humankind, for mankind, God said, hey, hey, actually, I'm going to get my hands a little dirty here because because yeah. mankind, humankind is going to be created in my image. And so like, yes, we have a God that is powerful enough to create the cosmos with a single word, but we have a God that is intimate enough to get down on one knee and and breathe life into the dust that he created and form mankind. It's like, bro, the only yeah. response to that is worship. That's yeah. it. Well, and it's like, bro, if you, even if you look throughout scripture, like what is more intimate than the word dwell? Like dwell is a place yeah. where you were made. It's your home. There's nothing more intimate than your home. And so like, even like tracing this thread all throughout scripture, you see God walking in the garden with Adam and Eve. He didn't have to, he chose to, yeah. um, you see God dwelling with his people in the tabernacle and the temple in the old Testament. Didn't have to, he chose to, he chose to, um, yeah. you see Jesus being born as a baby he didn't have to be like the infinite, the omniscience of God, fully God, fully man, and this little helpless baby. He didn't have mm-hmm. to, but he chose to. And like even the Holy Spirit, he now no longer dwells in a temple made by human hands. He dwells in you and me, in our fleshly bodies, in our souls, in our spirit. Like he didn't have to, he chose to. Yeah. And so like the, the entire thread of the Bible is God choosing to be near his people when if you look at like the archetypes of like every other religion, God is in this high pantheon. Like the Greek gods are up in the sky in Mount Olympus and they only use humans as their little playthings. Yeah. God comes to earth. He dwells among his people because he loves them and he wants yeah. a relationship with them. And he is a God of the people. And yet he created the cosmos and the world and everything like that. And, that to me is like the defining characteristic of Christianity versus every other religion. Amen. hundred percent. Is it like no one else paints God in that light? No one else paints God in that light. And so that's also not something we talk about a lot in the church. We don't. And it's like, cause we'll talk about how God is all knowing, all powerful and all present. Right. 
but there's actually a fourth omni that we like don't talk about. I learned this at Southeastern in one of my classes. It's so beautiful. It's like, like God is all good. Like God is infinitely powerful. God is infinitely knowing, knowledgeable. God mm. is infinitely present and transcendent, but God is also infinitely good and a lot of like the other omnis the power knowledge and presence like those things are cool they wouldn't really matter to us unless god was good yeah because if god was all of those things but not good i'm not here for that that's dangerous it's dangerous as dangerous it's dangerous all powerful god who is all who is not all good is basically what Zack snyder tried to do with superman it's like when you, when you flip it, it says, oh, thank you. Thank you for the golf clap there. I yep, golf clap, look golf at the clap. Lord. That was good. Yeah, it's like what happens when an all-powerful being is not good? Now everything, you know, goes to crap and it's the nightmare sequence and everything. But like yeah. for the five people that understood that reference, you're going to really appreciate that. <laughs> um, but I, I love that like his, his goodness, his holiness, his essence, who he is, is the foundation of all these other things. And... I think for me personally, like over the last, I would really say like year, year and a half, I think I've been wrestling with the goodness of God. Mm. And like one of the things, like I hate journaling. I just, my handwriting sucks. If I can't read it, then why should I write it down? Your hand cramps after like 20 seconds of writing. I get it. Bro, my hand's huge. It's just like, it's just not, (laughs) it's like Shaq shooting a free throw with a Nerf ball. It just doesn't, (laughs) it doesn't work, man. Um, But it's like, I wrote down this phrase like a couple months ago, like God does not withhold good things. Mm-hmm. Like he may not give good things, but he doesn't withhold out of his nature. He's not dangling it above you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think one of the things that I realized is like, I base God's goodness off of the things that he gives me. And so if he gives me what I want, therefore he's good. If I don't get, what I want therefore he's not good. But what mm-hmm. you're saying is he is good. Yeah. Like that's his nature. That's not something he gives. And so God is good regardless of what I give. God is like, uh, Job says it, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Yeah. And I think when we understand his nature and who he is, that actually gives us the ability to hold these gifts a little bit more loosely because mm-hmm. what good God, if he cares for the lilies, and the flowers of the field, how much more will he not care for you? How much more will he not like love to give good gifts to his children? Um, because that's who he is. When I was first trying to understand this doctrine is really difficult. Um, because my mind, my finite brain is literally trying to, it's attempting to understand something that is infinite that my brain can't comprehend. And there's, there's a, there's a struggle with that, but there's also a beauty to that, right? The struggle is I want to know everything. Like I want, I want to know the answers. I want to know why God hasn't done something that I want him to. Like, I want to know incomplete God. Like that's, that's my desire. Right. But the beautiful piece to this is that like, if I could understand everything about God, then he is no longer God. Yeah. Because the only, the only being that can fully understand and comprehend God is God because he has no creator. So to take that one step further, if we can understand God, that not, that doesn't only just mean that God is not God. That means that we have made ourselves God. Yes. Because yes. that's exactly what, like what happened to Adam and Eve in the garden is like, there's knowledge that is withheld from them 
There's something that is withheld from them. So the power there is like, oh, I want what God has. I want to know. I want to see. I want the answer. And so they take the fruit and they see it doesn't give them what they want. And all of a sudden now we're down the spiral of sin thousands and thousands of generations later, like all these different things. Yeah. And so there is a humility that comes with knowing that he is God and I am not. And I love like even going back to Job, Job's response to his suffering, like he petitions God the entire book and then God comes to him and he says like, who were you when I created the world? <laughs> yep. And Job, Job just responds like one verse and he's like, I have sinned with my mouth. I will shut up. I will not speak again. So sorry. And like, yep. Yeah. That's worship. Acknowledging that there is a God and it's not you is worship. It doesn't mean you have to raise your hands. It doesn't have to happen while you're, you know, singing on a stage. Acknowledging that he is God and you are not is worship. Ooh, actually, you want to take it one step further. You can be singing worship songs and not acknowledge that he is God and that is not worship. Yep. So you can be singing quote unquote worship songs with pride in your heart saying, I am the king of my own life. And what you may be singing is worshipful, but you are not worshiping. Yep. Yep. 100%. And this is where, man, oh, this is where it takes a really practical turn too, right? I, I the, the bigger view we have of God, the, the more we hate sin, right? And so like when I, when I think about this, I think about it Come as on. like a graph. As if I'm growing in my view of God, I should be growing in my <clears throat> hatred of sin. Here's the reason why we yeah. don't hate our sin. It's pretty simple. It's because we don't have a big view of God. Come on. We have an incredibly small, small view of the God that created the universe. Yeah. And it's like the reason we are so complacent and complicit with our sin, the reason we're so okay with it, uh, uh, an author calls them respectable sins. The reason we can look at our sin and say, "Eh, it's just not that bad because we have such a small view of the God of the universe. And like, y'all that, that is, an incredible disservice to who God is and what he's done. I, I love that you brought that up because 15 year old me was so frustrated with the church where all I wanted was for somebody to tell me practically what I had to do to stop sinning. Yeah. Like I wanted somebody like, what's the formula? What's the thing? Like I've tried all these different practical methods and it just feels like spiritual whack-a-mole where you, you cover one and then another one pops up. You cover that one and then another one pops up. And it's just like, you spend all this time trying to cover everything up and you're just exhausted. And so I was just like, someone tell me the formula. Somebody tell me what to do. Yeah. And I don't know if it was our pastor or if I heard it from somebody else, but basically they were just like, you love so you love sin so much because you love God so little. Yep. And the best way to fight sin is to increase your love of God and that comes by abiding in him. Um 1 John 3 says that he who abides in God's love cannot keep on sinning. Yeah. It is impossible to be filled completely with God's love and abiding with him and focus on him and still practice sin. Like when you love one by nature, you deny the other. So we end up denying God when we love sin, but the Bible solution to this is fall in love with God. Therefore you will deny your sin. And a lot of people will say, Oh, I love God. I attend church on the weekends. That I go it. to small group. Like I do the that things that I know, but the, the key to this is you can do the things and not love God. 
Yeah. Bro, that's that's the equivalent of saying, I love my spouse. I have a wedding ring on. Yes. Just just because you have the wedding ring on doesn't mean you love your spouse. There's so As many you are love- actively cheating. Yes. Just, right? bro, just, just because you got the ring on doesn't mean anything. And so it's it's an outward symbol. And the same thing goes for our, our, our relationship with the Lord. It's like just because you attend church, just because you're morally okay, like that doesn't necessarily mean a love for God. Those are fruits. That's not the root of the problem. Yep. Um, and it's like this is just everything we've talked about with our students, but like a desire for God is grown, not given. Yeah. Meaning that like our default position when it comes to loving God is to love our sin, not love him. Hosea yeah. says our love for God is like the morning dew. It's here one minute and it's gone the next. Mm-hmm. And so with that, like abiding in him, staying in him, growing in him, like being in his word, being in worship, being in prayer. These things are anchors for our heart to know who God truly is and to fall more in love with him. Therefore, now we see all the different fruits of our character and church and community and all these other things that we think are the root foundations of our love for God. There's a there's a deceiving technique that Satan will use. Satan wants you to maybe root out a couple of your sins. Satan wants you to to learn how to manage your sins because then he can deceive you into into thinking that you're abiding in Jesus. But like the thing is that behavioral management does not mean that you're abiding in Jesus. It's like whack-a-mole. You stop cussing one day, you struggle with something else the next. It's like wearing a wedding ring, saying you love your wife while actively cheating on them. It's like the only way that we can truly abide and and develop a hatred for our sin because we're falling deeper in love with Jesus is by abiding in him. So here, And so like the a- practicality here is are you more concerned with changing your behavior than yeah. falling deeper in love with Jesus? So I hear the voice. I agree with you. I hear the voice of someone in the back of my head of like, I do want to love Jesus, but I can't stop. And this is, this is something I've been wrestling with recently is that oftentimes our previous love for sin, we are living in the current present day consequences of that past love. Yeah. So that past love created habits that you may not love that sin anymore, but you are living in the habitual consequences of your old love. Yeah. And so that's the thing is it's like changing habits. Habits are man-made things that can be broken. A habit isn't the reason you've continued to live in that same sin for the last 10 years. It's actually hopelessness. Yeah. And like very quickly, I believe it's John five man on the mat stuck there for 38 years. Jesus comes up to him. Yep. And he says, do you want to be healed? And you would think that a dude that's been sitting by a pool that can heal you for 38 years desires to be healed. And the, the, the son of God comes up to him. He's like, oh my gosh, clearly this is the answer. But he looks at him and he says, I have nobody to take me down to the pool. Yeah. And even when I do, someone goes down before me. That is an answer that he has told himself in his head for the last 38 years as to why he can be healed. That's not a habit. That's hopelessness. Yep. And so here's the thing. God can change your habits. The devil wants to keep you hopeless. Yeah. 
And there are many of us as Christians who have been living in the same sin, the same addictions, the same habits for years because we think that God can't heal us. And that's just not true. Yeah. That's, that's, that's just not true. And that comes back to what you were saying, like our view of God. Is, is he powerful enough? Is he good enough? Is he, is he who he says he is? And can he remove that from you and make you new and make you walk again like this man who was stuck on the mat? The fact that like, if, if you're listening to this and you're like, man, I wrestle with these questions. I'm asking these questions. That is a good thing. It's like the fact that you will never have all the answers to your questions proves that God is infinite and you are not. And that should cause us to worship. So like, yes, it may be frustrating in the in the temporary that we don't have all the answers, that we don't have the results that we're looking for. We can hope in the fact that an infinite God has the good for himself and for us on his mind. He's working, Romans 8, 28, he's working all things together for the good of those who love him. It's like we can take hope in that. Like we can have confidence in that. So the fact you don't have answers to your questions it's proof that God is infinite. We are not. And we, and in that very fact, we can have hope. Y'all, thank you for tuning in to today's episode. 25 minutes on the dot. I hope this was a good follow-up episode from the Gen Z episode. If you think so, let us know. Shoot us an email. Any questions, comments, concerns, sanctifiedish at gmail.com. You can also check us out on social media at ReaganJones97 and at RodSiv157. Y'all, we will catch you in the next one. And until next time, take care and God bless. Say something nothing. snarky. You got nothing? Did y'all know Victor has a Peloton? I'm tired. <laughs> I'm actually going to get on the Peloton right now. Good for you, man. Good for you, man. Yep. Proud of you. Thank you. <laughs> I really need your affirmation. Stop the podcast. <laughs> hang up the phone. No, you Turn. hang up. <laughs>